People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples were rebu- rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indigent. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Good morning, Church. I'm Sharon Anderson, Pastor of Discipleship and Care. Privileged to share God's Word with you this morning. I wanted to let you know that Pastor Mark, our lead pastor, is off today preaching at um, another covenant church in our region, the City of Rain Church, which is a church plant in the Kent area. And it really is a church that has become multi-ethnic, was started mainly to reach... Um, Ukrainian, Slavic people, and uh, he's privileged to be there this morning preaching with them. It really reinforces some of our values of being celebrating the diversity that God has given us in the kingdom of God. And so um, you'll be hearing about some of that later when he comes back to preach again. Before we open God's word this morning, I invite you to just pray. I'd like to invite the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do. So pray with me if you would. Lord, we thank you that you've promised your word is alive and active, but it only happens as your Holy Spirit comes to do what you intend to do. So, Lord, take the words spoken and the words heard and make them alive for us. We want to follow you more fully. We want to hear your word. Some of us need encouragement. Some of us need to be challenged. Whatever you intend to do, Lord, we invite you, and we give you the thanks in advance, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in a series called Jesus Now What? Looking at the second part of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus, now what? What is Jesus calling us to do as his followers? If you were to ask or if I were to ask you and have you designate to me one of the greatest people in the world, who would be on your list? You don't have to shout it out, but just think about it. Who would be the greatest person you could think of? Maybe you yourself might be as confident as the late Muhammad Ali, because this is what he said. He gave himself the title of the greatest. 
fact, he said it this way. We kind of laugh at this quote, but it, it's kind of humorous. I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was the greatest. <laughs> it makes us smile. And when Ali died this past June, many writers went back and reflected on his greatness, calling him the greatest. They pointed out his his uh, worldwide fame. They pointed out the way he reached out to people, his charisma and charm, his swagger that was backed up by really being successful in the boxing ring. Another one of his quotes, which I laugh at as well, is, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. <laughs> There's something kind of joyful about him saying that. And yet, we might also scoff at the notion that this world-renowned boxer would be the greatest that ever lived. What is it that actually defines greatness? What is it that makes a person great? It's tempting for us to point to the world and to look at sports stars or celebrities, politicians, people with lots of resources, and think, oh, they're the people that are overly focused on being great. But in our text today, it was the disciples. It was people like you and me. These people, in fact, had walked with Jesus for almost three years. And here they were, defining, trying to figure out greatness. They had gotten it all backwards. And Jesus is doing something to turn their ideas upside down. At this point in Mark's gospel, in the ninth chapter, and by the way, if you have your Bible or your device, your uh, Bible on your device, do open to it as we look at uh, the chapter 9, beginning at verse 30. Thank you, Brooke, for reading it so well for us. But at this point in the gospel, Jesus had left his public ministry. The crowds weren't quite around because he was intentionally wanting to teach his disciples. He was wanting them to see the way of Jesus. And as you see on this map, Galilee is up in the north. He was on his way toward Jerusalem down in the south. And on the way wanted to make clear to them who he was. So it was both a geographical journey down from the north to the city of Jerusalem. But it was also a spiritual journey. It was a discipleship journey. Because Jesus was using this time to remind his followers of what he was all about. And what does he say there in verse 31? He again predicts for them what is going to be the end of his, what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. Now this is the second of three times in Mark where he's telling us, and you know when you use threes, especially in scripture, it's an important thing. It's re- repetitive to remind you of something. Three times Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is my calling. And this is how he says it here the second time in Mark 9:31. The son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. He was very clear and explicit. And yet the scripture says, They did not understand what he meant. And they were afraid to ask him about it. They didn't get what this was all about. Yes, Jesus had said very clearly, I am going to die. I'm going to be raised again. And I wonder if their confusion 
mixed with some fear had to do with what about us? What does that mean for us? Mark in so much of his gospel points out the disciples as not quite getting it. Confused, fearful sometimes, uncertain what Jesus was talking about. And I like that picture because it reminds me their weakness, even sometimes their self-centeredness. We can see that in ourselves, can't we? We can understand what it is to not exactly get what Jesus is talking about. Aware of our own weaknesses and our failures, we identify with these disciples. And so when Jesus talks to them and teaches them, we can find ourselves sitting right alongside them, needing to learn a new way. Paying attention where Jesus turns their worldview upside down. So today we're looking at the Jesus way in three different things. First, we're looking at the quest for greatness. What was it about the disciples that they wanted? What were they going after? Then we'll look a little bit at the two pictures that Jesus gives to show what greatness is for him. And then finally, what does greatness look like in the kingdom of God? In that big, global, eternal picture, what is greatness? So first of all, the quest for greatness. Jesus' second prediction about going to Jerusalem came as they were arriving there at Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was kind of the headquarters of Jesus' ministry while he was in Jerusalem, and they're most likely gone back to the home of Peter and Andrew. You remember, these two disciples were brothers, and they lived in Capernaum. We heard here earlier in the gospel that Jesus had done a miracle there and raised, uh, that healed Peter's mother-in-law. And so when it says in the scripture they were in the house, that's probably the house they were in, a very familiar place, a comfortable place for this group of disciples. But when they got there, what does Jesus ask them? What were you arguing about along the way? It's interesting. He probably knew what they were saying. It probably was enough of a heated argument that there was an awareness that something was going on with these disciples. What were you arguing about? And like children caught (laughs) in something that, or maybe adults caught in something that we don't want to admit about ourselves, they kept quiet. Because what they'd been arguing about was, who was the greatest? We smile at that. Maybe your kids have done that when they're young, you know, about themselves. I'm the greatest this, or my dad is stronger than your dad, or those kinds of things, it can can escalate into an argument. But the conversation for these disciples was about their status, about what it would be like for them if they were the top, the greatest in Jesus' messianic kingdom. And it's interesting, isn't it, that just after they had heard him talk about himself going to the cross, sacrificing himself, that they start talking about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Maybe you've found yourself in that kind of argument before too, posturing for the top spot to be seen as the greatest. Now, we as adults are much too sophisticated to say that out loud, so I don't know that we actually might have arguments about it, but think about the internal conversations that you sometimes have in your head. Well, something like this. Why did that person get the promotion? I really deserve it. 
Why didn't I get the recognition? I did this so much better than that person. And really, when you look at it, I've worked so much harder. I'm greater than... Do you recognize any of those conversations? We silently raise ourselves up to the greatest and maybe even malign others and say, well, yeah, they think they're great, but did you see what... Those are the kind of conversations that sometimes trouble and tempt all of us. And we can recognize ourselves in this quest for status, whatever that looks like. Status for power, wanting to be the top dog, uh, desire for prestige, wanting to have that reputation better than others, desiring position, possessions, all those things that might describe us as great. We want to be on top. And in this conversation in that Capernaum house, the disciples' value system about greatness needed to be realigned. He's bringing into question, he said, your thoughts about greatness are so different than mine. You're following my way to Jerusalem? That's a way of self-denial and sacrifice, humility. Not the way of raising yourself up to the top spot. And so what does Jesus do, which he does so beautifully? He brings in a picture that helps them understand this. Two of them, in fact. Two pictures of greatness. The first one is the picture of a servant. So you want to be first, Jesus says. So you want to be first? Okay, let me tell you what first looks like in my view of the world, in my kingdom. He says this way in verse 35. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. This doesn't just mean being first in line, although you can kind of figure that out too. Good thing to remember when we're out shopping and the lines are long, right? To be first is to be last. But what Jesus is really pointing at is uh, you are to be servant of all. Look at a servant, and that's what I call great. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus used a picture of the lowest person in the household, the hired people. Many times in that age, they were indentured or servants for life. They were paying off a debt or something like that. The servant in the household had the most menial tasks. The servant would have to take care of the needs of others before themselves. The servant would defer to others. And Jesus takes this place of lowly, humble service and elevates it. He says to be first is really to take the lesser place. To be great is to be the servant of all. And when you, he says to his disciples and to us, When we recognize our relationships in that way, when we recognize that we're here to serve each other, then we've got the idea of what it is to be great in the kingdom of God. Think about this in your own life this past week. Who are some people that have served you? Oh, maybe it's been someone in your home living into that place of service. Maybe it's people we just look right past many times. The waitress the barista, the person who um, is a custodian in your building or in your school, 
the crossing guard, the garbage collector, the grocery clerk, people who serve us on and on. And Jesus is taking a picture of those people and saying, these are the ones who are great because they're giving themselves in service to others. He elevates those last place positions as having the highest honor. It's one who serves that is first, not the one being served. And in that culture and in ours today, there was so much emphasis on status and who was at the top notch, who got the best place at the, at the table and who, who got honor above others. You see that all through the scriptures. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got it backwards. I want you to be, see yourself as a servant. And then, imagine the scene after he says that. Jesus takes a little child. And I imagine, I wonder if that wasn't Peter or Andrew's own little son. They were in their home. He takes this little child and he brings him in front of these group of men who've been arguing about being the greatest and he says, take a look at this. Take a look at this little one. What do you see in the face of a little one that reminds you of what it is to be part of my kingdom? I love it that Jesus says too, he took the child in his arms. There's a tangible touch. He's so close. Think of when you've held your children in your arms. Some of them are a little too old for doing that perhaps, but that that closeness to it and Jesus is saying, whoever... Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. When we welcome, include, celebrate children, we're doing something that Jesus says is like welcoming him. You heard Pastor Nick and Pastor Nancy talk about that. This is so true of who we are as a church. I've heard it said before that children aren't the future of the church. Children are the church. We are all part of the church. Little children, from the youngest to the oldest, we are all part of the church. And Jesus takes this little child and points to his disciples and says, I want you to understand about welcoming these. This is what greatness looks like. What do you see in the face of a child that reminds you of the kingdom of God? Well, in that culture, children were not as esteemed as even they are in our day. They were just overlooked. But in that home setting, Jesus brings this child in there as if he's saying, look at this child who doesn't presume on anything, doesn't have any pretense of greatness, recognizes they're in a place of need, Freely receive whatever is given to them. That's the picture I want for you in greatness. That's what it looks like, like a little child. Receiving what's been given to you, not trying to gain things on your own or get the top um, spot. Like a child, like a little child. Child doesn't come with a resume. At least I hope none of you are writing resumes yet. (laughs) A child doesn't have to list their accomplishments. They are who they are, and they're welcomed on that basis. And Jesus says, when you welcome them, you welcome me, because that is a picture of greatness in my kingdom. 
This past week I saw a picture on a, on a greeting card called Dancing in the Church. And I love the way it, how it sparked that notion for me again of what greatness is in the picture of a little child. The artist is Marius van Dokum, a contemporary Dutch artist. He does lots of still lifes and, and pictures where there's a little twist of humor in each one of them. And in this 2005 painting, if you could look at it real closely, you'd see exactly that. The respectable people in the church are sitting up high. Do you see? They're in the highest place. And if you look at their faces, they're a little bit dour. They're a little bit haughty looking. They're not exactly sure what is this child doing down there. Right? And yet the higher up ones don't notice that the child at the bottom is free and joyful and dancing. In fact, the light is shining on her and not on them. And if you look closely, too, on the front of her sweater, she has a lamb. Someone who's loved, not just as a lamb, but the lamb of God has called her to himself. I love this picture. I love the reminder, the way it challenges us to think of what does humble faith look like? What does it mean to welcome the kingdom like a child? So free, so open. They come in in simplicity. They receive what is offered. And that's what Jesus is celebrating when he brings a little child before these grown men. The passage in Mark 10 speaks about another encounter Jesus had with children. And this time again, the disciples don't get it. In the passage that was read, people are bringing their children to Jesus. He wants, they want him to bless the children. And what, do they, what happens there? The disciples think they've got it all figured out. They presume that I'm going to control the people who come to Jesus. I know what, who, who are the great ones, and these children aren't them. So they rebuked them, said, no, don't bother him. And what does the scripture say in that, in Mark 10? It says Jesus wasn't just going to teach them, he was indignant. He was horrified at the way these disciples were treating these young children. He says to them this, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. No posturing for greatness here. They're just coming to receive a blessing. And the kingdom is a place of welcome for those. A welcome for those who recognize their need. And then Jesus does. He grabs them in his arm, he touches them, he blesses them. They receive the kingdom of God in blessing from Jesus himself. This past week I sat at my piano at home with my little grandson. He's learning to sing and one of his little songs, he said, wanted me to sing with him. He's not quite two. You might know this song and if you do, sing it along with me because when I Something happened when I was singing this song with my grandson. It goes like this. Jesus loves the little ones like me, me, me. Jesus loves the little ones like me, me, me. Little ones like me sat upon his knee. 
Jesus loves the little ones like me, me, me. And as I heard his voice and my own, something happened. Because I realized I was one of those little ones. I was one of those little ones who Jesus loved. I didn't come with anything but myself, and Jesus loved me as I was. This is what it's like to be part of the kingdom, to recognize we're all like little children, coming simply as we are. And Jesus is telling us, as he told his disciples, the way to gain honor is not to put yourself in the first place, but to receive those who don't necessarily have that much honor in society's view. The kingdom of God is for them. In fact, you can't even come into the kingdom of God unless you receive it like a little child. Such different value systems, such a different definition of greatness. The greatness comes when we come in humility. Servants, children, two pictures of what Jesus says, I call this place great. I call these persons the ones who are greatest in my kingdom. This is true of Jesus himself, is it not? He not only went to the cross, but at this season of the year is when we celebrate that the way of Jesus, the greatness in the kingdom of God is shown in a baby. At this first Sunday in Advent, we look together at the way Jesus came. And Paul writes about it in Philippians. He says it this way. You, you and I are to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even further, even further, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What those disciples didn't expect, and probably many did not expect in a Messiah, was one who would go to a place of self-sacrifice and death. One who would go all the way to the cross. Jesus reminding us that the way of discipleship isn't upward. It isn't trying to find the greatest position and the greatest status. It's downward. Humility. Serving. Not in the elevated position, but in taking the last place. And so on this first Sunday in Advent, when we light our candles and we sing of the Christ child, we have another another tangible picture of what God calls great. We have a picture of a baby in a manger, helpless, quiet, maybe not all the time quiet, I'm sure he cried, right? But Jesus coming into this place of dependency and helplessness out of humility out of a desire to show us what it is that God intends to do for us. He set aside his divine prerogative. He set aside his high status in the glorious heavenly kingdom and became like you and I 
to show us the way to God, to show us what the kingdom is all about. This is the most profound picture of greatness. We sang about it in the song, From the Cradle to the Cross. This is what God shows us is great. Coming as a baby, dying for our sins, in humility, giving himself to serve those who, whom he loves. You want to be the greatest? Take the place that's last. You want to be honored in the kingdom of God? Serve others in his name. You want to know what it is to enjoy the kingdom and dance in the church? Come like a child and receive what Jesus has to give you, not because of what you've accomplished or who you are or what your station in life is, but because he loves you. He welcomes you. This is what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. And may Jesus help us and may the Spirit help us to live into that as his disciples, to not shrug away from this place of humility, but to embrace it and to know that when we do, Jesus is celebrating. He's celebrating the greatness of your discipleship as you lean into him. I invite you to pray with me as we close. Oh, Father, how we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. That in his birth and life, his death and resurrection, we see what it is to give ourselves self-sacrificially. Lord, you knew what it was to be least. You bent over and washed your disciples' feet. You took the role of a servant And you call this the place of greatness. We no longer need to worry about building our status before you, holy God. We've been set free from posturing and pushing and trying to pursue greatness. You tell us who we are, God. We are your beloved children. You demonstrated it to us. And you ask us to simply receive the kingdom as a child and to enter in and have all that you intend to give us. Oh God, how we thank you. We thank you that you've given us the way. Teach us, Lord, what it is to live in humility, to give ourselves away for the sake of others, and to find greatness in your kingdom. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our humble Lord. Amen.